And we're back. I'm Gervier Brom here with Chamakar Sandu, and we are screen off script. This week, we're getting into a throwback. We're talking Scarface and reflecting on all the major movie and TV news of the week. Yeah. Big man in a suit of armor. Take that off. What are you? Genius billionaire playboy philanthropist. I know guys with none of that worth 10 of you. I've seen the footage. The only thing you really fight for is yourself. You're not the guy to make the sacrifice play, to lay down on a wire and let the other guy crawl over you. I think I would just cut the wire. Always a way out. You know, you may not be a threat, but you better stop pretending to be a hero. A hero? All right, so, like you? this week, we're going to be talking about a throwback. If you want to hear our review of Scarface, timestamps in the description. So we got a lot of news that came out this week. Mm. Obviously, we're coming out of the Super Bowl. Did you see anything there that like movie and TV news that really like you fucked with? Only because like I don't watch commercials, obviously. Sure. I almost like from blank slate before we get into like anything specific that because I really don't have any opinion on them. Yeah. Yeah. For you, though, was there any commercials that stood out to you where you're like, OK, well, I got to check that out. OK, so there's literally two takeaways. One being the Deadpool 3 trailer, which I know we're going to talk about. But what was interesting now looking back at it is um, obviously these Super Bowl commercials cost a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Like it's like millions of dollars for like a thirty second spot. I think it's like seven million. That's that's, that's a lot of money, right? Like, what I was thinking about is obviously some of these massive trailers that drop are two minute trailers, two and a half minute trailers, and what these Super Bowl spots are doing is they're giving you a thirty second cut down, mm-hmm. and it's literally like available online right now so literally the the, tr- the the super bowl spot is saying here's a quick snippet teaser now go on your laptop or now go on your phone mm-hmm. to watch the full length trailer so that was one major takeaway and it's only been a few years since i've w- started watching the super bowl live since i moved to toronto and i'm trying to find like a, a u.s broadcast because that's where the good stuff is yeah. but outside of that in terms of actual commercials i have to say the dunkin donuts one with ben affleck matt damon tom brady jennifer lopez was hands down in my opinion the best commercial okay because like ben ben affleck is just taking the mick out of himself and you've got jennifer lopez there there's been so many memes about their relationship and who's wearing the trousers and all that kind of stuff right yeah, yeah. but then you've kind of got the whole boston angle between him tom brady and matt Day. i just thought it was a hilarious commercial and also one of the biggest takeaways from watching commercials is do you remember it mm-hmm. like the day after do you remember it and do you remember what brand or company it's associated with and that one sticks out to me like a, a sore thumb yeah yeah i actually haven't even seen that one yet obviously the one that we should get into though is the Deadpool trailer. The title that they ended up going with was Deadpool and Wolverine. It's the most watched trailer ever in the first 24 hours with 365 million views. That's insane. So obviously, the commercial works. The commercial works, but also I think even just going in, people were like, all right, we know we're going to get a Deadpool mm-hmm. trailer. So everyone that is an MCU fan, a comic book fan, just a film fan in general, a Ryan Reynolds fan, yeah. a Deadpool fan, it's like, yo, you're locked in. And I think a lot of people, you know, just globally do watch the Super Bowl not for the football game. Yeah. They're watching it for the halftime show and they're watching it for all these commercials and all these trailers that are going to be popping off. Also, it's just like a big pop culture moment. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like it's water cooler talk is, did, what did you think of the game last night? Blah. That's right. the only time you're going to be able to contribute to that conversation. Absolutely. You know what I mean? Like I don't watch regular season football. Yeah. But I'll watch that Super Bowl game. Yeah. Um, so I know you obviously don't watch trailers mm-hmm. and I'm assuming you did not watch the Deadpool 3 trailer. I did not. Okay. I should stop calling it Deadpool 3, by the way. Yeah. Deadpool and Wolverine. I'm not going to talk about the specifics. Are you a fan of that title, by the way? I'm actually cool with it. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And I can also understand from an SEO perspective yeah, why they went sure. that way. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm not going to talk about specifics of what happened in the trailer, but I feel like from a, a news cycle point of view, 
the biggest takeaway from the trailer is something we've talked about at length now for the better part of the last 12 months it's like the mcu's in a really weird spot right a lot of the product whether it's the the disney plus shows whether it's the movies have not been received well Mm. and the biggest thing we were kind of talking about at 2020 you know heading into 2024 is like okay there's only one mcu movie this year it's going to be deadpool 3 a lot of pressure in terms of what this experience is going to be like and how it impacts things moving forward well coming out of this trailer that's exactly what they went into with this trailer they were like listen the mcu is going to change forever Mm -hmm. that's like the biggest kind of strap line from the actual trailer that ryan reynolds says breaking the fourth wall as deadpool and i'm like okay so these guys a get it but they're also putting that pressure on themselves now Mm -hmm. because they're communicating to us as the audience we hear you we know we haven't been doing a good job watch out because when this movie drops, we're going to actually change things moving forward. That's yeah. kind of like my biggest takeaway from it. That's interesting. The fact that they're acknowledging mm. that they've been failing, not only online or like talking about it in, in an interview, but to actually put it in the commercial. Right. That's a whole different situation. That's pretty brave of them to do that, that's, right? I don't know. How do you feel about that? I feel like I, I wonder perceptually how that's going to be affecting the audience. I think it makes you want to root for them now. You're like, you know what? We have not been served well. Yeah. And you like you said it feels like you're acknowledging us now Mm -hmm. and i'm now even more interested to see what they actually end up delivering with this film because the ceiling is okay we're back right yeah but we know what the floor is because of what we've experienced the last 12 months yeah i mean you're talking about the floor i just got out of the screening for for madam web by the way which we're gonna be talking about next week but it's so interesting because walking out of certain superhero movies will make you think this genre is done. Right. Right? The wrong movie will absolutely make you think like westerns are over. These are this is a genre that's bygone for sure. Yeah. But at the same time, it's funny because one big hit can change everything. So who knows what's going to happen with Deadpool 3 or Deadpool and Wolverine. Right. But it's going to be really interesting to kind of follow that cuz that's really the biggest and only story for comic books next year? Um this, this year. Yeah, I mean, I don't see anything cuz is there a Joker DCU 2 release? coming out? There's, there's nothing again it's it's kind of wild we are getting dcu content but not from james gunn's dcu yeah. until superman legacy that's hits the, may 2025 so the joker sequel and that's it right that's it wow that's like a really interesting year for comic books Which, but also two amazing offerings on both sides yeah and also allows us to kind of just take a breath and not be inundated with so much and, and let these studios figure out what the game plan is moving forward in terms of delivering high quality at a regular cadence. Yeah, you never know. Like, at the end of the day, it could be a situation where, like, you know what? You've given people enough time to miss them. Yeah. Or it could be a situation where you've given them enough time to forget you. Yeah. It's one or the other. And then the other X factor is, do we know that Deadpool and Wolverine's going to be R-rated? And like, so finally, in, like, Disney's version of the MCU is how far they're going to push things. Yes. How how much of the, the fourth wall are they going to break? How much fun are they going to make of their own property? One thing I actually read uh, when they were making Deadpool 2, there were apparently a lot more jokes that Ryan Reynolds had come, come up with. Mm-hmm. And it was in relation to the Disney-owned properties, right? But he couldn't execute and pull the trigger on them because at that time disney was in this kind of like merger acquisition of fox uh-huh. so he kind of like pulled back a little bit okay so okay. i just wonder how much of that 
is still in the chamber yeah, yeah, yeah. that he's going to unload in this one. I heard, uh, I just, this is like the tough part of the conversation because I haven't seen the trailer. Right. But I've heard he already takes shots at oh, Disney. Oh, there's, there's a few shots he's yeah, taken already. That's and that's in a trailer, man. Yeah, that's pretty great. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm, I genuinely am excited to see how Deadpool 3 is. But next story I got is uh, still on the comic book path. Amy Pascal, she says that the live action Miles Morales movie will come out someday, not until we make two more Spider-Verse movies. Those movies being Beyond the Spider-Verse and Spider-Man 4. Mm. So the Tom Holland Spider-Man. Right, right. So uh, those seem to be the next things on the project. But uh, how do you feel about that slate of Sony's offerings from our Yeah, movies? I mean, when it comes to Spider-Verse, that's the one, you know, <laughs> one part of Sony where they've absolutely crushed it and nailed it. And when it comes to Spider-Man 4, if it's going to be once again, which I'm assuming it will be in collaboration with Disney and Marvel, yeah. I trust that process because obviously uh, No Way Home was fantastic. Mm-hmm. Really good, uh, amazing commercially, critically. We watched it a few times in the yeah. cinema. And if that's another example of bringing back Tobey Maguire, Andrew Garfield, I'm here for it. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, we'll carry more the conversation for Spider-Man next week when we talk about Madam Web. Mm. I have two more pieces of uh, superhero news before moving on, but Robert Downey Jr., I kind of want to just address this because it was interesting. He says, when he was talking about playing Iron Man, he said, it was great to be associated with someone like that for a while, and then it wore off. I think it's really interesting mm. that we had like this big boom of like this, like the MCU superhero movies in general, and now we're kind of coming off like the hangover of Endgame. Mm. You're almost like getting like the post rea- like the post game reaction, right? After the fact, like years later, like now we're hearing like the podcast from the athlete, right? Yeah, and, like yeah. it's interesting to see Robert Downey Jr. kind of doing that as well. Like he's has almost like not. It doesn't seem like he has negative feelings about the MCU, but it seems like he just is apathetic towards it. Yeah, it's interesting because when you kind of rewind the clock a little bit, being cast as Iron Man literally saved his career in many ways. He was in a no man's land yeah. at that point, right? And he certainly was not a leading man by any stretch of the imagination. And through this whole journey, he's able to obviously get another franchise up and running in Sherlock Holmes. And also he can just pick and choose what he wants to be involved with. I mean, look, you know, he's picking up awards for Oppenheimer, right? Does he get this opportunity if he doesn't have his status now after playing Tony Stark for 10, 15 years? I don't know. Maybe he does, maybe he doesn't. I don't know, mm-hmm. right? But I guess it's almost similar to when people who have already attained this are rich and famous. And they yeah. say, you know what? It's great, but I wish I can get my anonymity back. So do you right? think the way he's kind of talking about it is like negative? Like, is he is he talking like crap a little bit about his experience in Marvel? It's hard. It's hard to figure out what his you know, emotions are when he's saying a quote like that. Sometimes I think... What do you think? It's difficult when you're in a superhero movie because you... It's just like you said. You really do believe to varying results that this is going to be the thing that changes your career. Yeah. Takes you to the next level. And then when it does, how much do you... Not to say, oh, obviously you owe a lot to the idea of what it did for you. But does he have to, after like 10, whatever long years he ended up playing that role, does that have to be the defining role for Robert Downey Jr. forever? Or like, does he always have to always address that? Like it's, I don't even know if I, because it's interesting, right? Mm. When you look at somebody like Stallone, right? You look at someone like Rocky and it's something he's so proud of through his entire career. Yeah. And because he created that, he got to do it himself. Yeah. But Robert Downey Jr., he's taking on this idea of Iron Man. He has to keep playing somebody else's character over and over. And I don't know if he has that same kind of sentimentality in the same way Rocky or uh, Stallone would want with Rocky. Yeah, and maybe he will never get that until we finally move on and we do get a new Tony Stark and we do get a new Iron Man played by someone completely different 
Or him. maybe just him finding like completely different roles like he did with uh, with Oppenheimer. Yeah. Um, and maybe that's what he's going to be doing moving forward. Uh, yeah. And that's something that, you know, we'll see how that kind of plays out. But that's an exciting time in his career because he's out of that. He feels like he's very out of the box. Let's let's see what the best version. And then the funny thing is with Secret Wars, there's always this, is he going to come back? Does it feel like he wants to come back now? It doesn't feel like he does, but is, I don't know. Is he contractually obligated? Does he feel any obligation to Kevin Feige? Like, has he given him his word that, yes, I will come back for Secret Wars? If I he comes know. back and he just told us, like, he doesn't care for it as much as he used to. Right. Does that hurt the, the pop when he comes back, do you think? Yeah, it could be a swerve. I mean, there's so many, I don't know, right? Like, They're playing us, kayfabe? Yeah. Uh, who knows? Maybe it it could just come down to the fact that you're playing the same character over and over again. Mm-hmm. It must get tiresome yeah. to be just sitting or standing in front of a green screen for yeah. months on end, right? And uh, acting opposite a prop or yeah. a stick. And yeah, I can't believe that you know, as you get older as an actor and you're trying to push yourself in the art form, mm-hmm. that being so compelling to agree to do again and again and, and again. again yeah it's very interesting man i really think the interesting thing is going to be when we get more out of like this generation of people coming out of these superhero movies yeah because they don't have that same uh when people talk about like westerns for example they almost like talk about like the genre that was like legendary yeah from like before comic movies have such connotation already associated with them yeah i'm not sure if they're going to have that same kind of thing it's going to be a little bit divisive because there are people that are so diehard fans and people that think it's completely the nerdiest thing in the world. Right, right. right? And uh, yeah, I wonder to see how all these actors coming out of that, are they going to have that same same thought process of Robert Downey Jr.? Like, Yeah, I, I wonder because some actors got made because of the MCU mm-hmm. from obscurity to overnight fame and fortune and all these opportunities. Whereas an actor like... Robert Downey Jr., he's from the 80s, man. Mm -hmm. He kind of had his ups and downs, right? He had opportunities where he was the leading man or the co-star or he was involved in big productions and then things just went completely south and this is what saved him. Mm -hmm. But for a lot of these other actors, a lot of them are younger, right? And this is their their breakthrough role are comic book characters. But at the same time, like sometimes it doesn't work out for them or it affects their life like negatively. I was listening to Camille Nanjiani talk Mm -hmm. about Eternals and he's talking about how you know, that really messed him up. He ended up going to therapy. It's so much depression because of it, just because he thought it was going to be like this thing that was going to be his next massive part in his life. He dedicated himself so much to it. Yeah. And then to see the reaction to it, it devastated him. Right. right. And like, that's a whole different trajectory of your career now. Mm-hmm. Right. I, I, it's, it's really an interesting play to see kind of where this is going to be an interesting generation to kind of watch. hundred percent. Even take the rock, for example. Yeah. He's had to, he's pivoted. Look at that pivot. To A24, yeah. right? Versus sticking around and trying to like push for other IP in the same comic book genre or something else. And it's look like, what he's doing in WWE too. Like, yeah. It just feels like he has done a tremendous job of actually making the pivot now. Yeah. Like now it feels like people are reinterested in The Rock because he's doing interesting stuff. Right. As opposed to what he was doing before where it was like, he thinks he's serving the biggest version of it. Yeah. Know, he thinks he's he should do a comic movie now because he's the big, biggest actor and this is the biggest genre both of us together guaranteed hit and also because that was basically 20 years in production hell yeah he'd been trying to make black adam for such a long time it must have been so deflating to yeah. see it not perform both commercially or critically i'm excited to see in like 20 years the rock have like a very different perspective on black adam mm. i feel like he's gonna look at it very differently mm. okay also last thing i got for comic book movies James Gunn, okay, so there was three rumors that basically leaked about the DCU. Uh, he said at least one of these stories are not true. So it's interesting wording, 
but he makes it seem like one of them is true. All right. So I'm going to give you the scenarios. Okay. Darren Aronofsky is in talks to direct a Plastic Man movie. Teen Titan film is in early development and Sergeant Rock. That film is in development. I'm going to dismiss Sergeant Rock because I don't think any studio is gambling on properties that nobody knows anymore. Okay. Like, especially not right now. Teen Titan seems like the one, right? Yeah. That seems kind of cool, right? Because you, we're essentially getting Young Avengers anyway mm-hmm. on on the Marvel side. Mm-hmm. And for the opposite side of the bracket to have their own version of that with Teen Titans, that is such a well-known commodity, especially yeah. with the Cartoon Network and everything like that. Especially like kids growing up with that. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. Like that's a whole different game they've never yeah. really got to explore. Mm. And I think an interesting thing with that as well, you can bring it now will we see more of an emphasis on characters like Robin and like all these younger guys? It's going to be cool to see who ends up coming. I feel like uh, James Gunn's about to create a whole universe of superheroes. Like Mm. he's going to go really aggressively uh, the same way Marvel will try to be like, well, there's one superhero in this movie. There might be a few extra side characters, Yeah, but it's one main guy, one this guy. And like, it feels like the powers that you see in Marvel, it's going to be very infrequent, but James Gunn, it feels like he's doing a lot of it. I'm pretty sure in, Superman, there's like 12 people that have powers. You know what's crazy? I just thought about this now. You know how we just talked about the Super Bowl? Literally, we're just one year away from maybe getting the Superman Legacy trailer. Yeah. Because the movie's supposed to come out May of 2025. Mm. So I wouldn't be surprised if they used the opportunity. Also, uh, we didn't speak about this, but the most watched Super Bowl of all time as well. So in terms of eyeballs, especially the North American public, you know, viewing this network and this you know broadcast for four or five hours to be able to promote and advertise and plug in whether it's a tv show or a movie or a product remarkable but it's kind of wild to think that we are literally just a year and change away from a new superman movie and this is the first one from the whole james gunn universe what we're going to get from dc it's gonna be cool all right next my god tom cruise i feel like you'll love this obviously (laughs) i've been waiting for you to bring this one up (laughs) so tom cruise is uh reportedly in talks to appear in quentin tarantino's final film the movie critic. Mm-hmm. I actually don't want to be the first one to react to this. I want to throw That's this one back. <laughs> I want to throw this one back to you because I think there was an initial report or yeah. rumor, and then it was almost uh, he's a, changing his schedule. There was an appendix to it where it's going to be a small role, maybe a cameo yeah. due to his schedule. So I, I want to get your reaction to the initial news <laughs> and then the 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 secondary report half an hour later. Okay, so I I saw them around the same time. To okay, be fair, all right. right. So, but when I initially saw that, when you sent it to me, yeah, I was like, oh, <laughs> I don't know how I feel about that. <laughs> I don't. I, okay, at the end of the day, like I respect Tom Cruise. I understand the value he has in film. Understand the value he has in the box office. Right. All of that. Yeah. But do I want my final Tarantino film to be starring Tom Cruise? Absolutely not. <laughs> I do not want that at all. If I'm being completely honest. Okay. Okay. But think about this. The, the report we had last week was Brad Pitt is starring in Quentin Tarantino's final film. And then we get Tom Cruise. Which one would you want? Both. I've, if I you had like to pick one, I'm curious. Because obviously he's going to have a million people in this movie. But if you had one star, who would you prefer? You know who I'd pick? I'd pick Tom Cruise and I'll tell you why. <laughs> and I'll, t- I'll tell you why. Yeah. It's not that I have anything against Brad Pitt. Yeah. Right? Because we've seen but we've two seen Tarantino movies with Brad Pitt. What could Tarantino yeah. do with Tom Cruise? Yeah. The unknown gets me excited. That is interesting. Because is these interesting. are two juggernauts of Hollywood coming together. And if we've seen Tom Cruise allow himself to be taken into a, a certain direction yeah. by directors, sometimes in the past has proven to be sure. very, very positively received. I completely actually agree with that. I would actually, I, yeah, I'd secede my point. You know what I mean? At the end of the day, like I would be, I'm, I'm more of a fan of Tarantino than I am like 
at all that I don't like Tom Cruise. Yeah, exactly. You know what I mean? It doesn't matter who's in the movie. It doesn't For matter sure. who's acting in it, who's being cast in it. It's Tarantino that's directing them. It's Tarantino yeah. that has a character in mind for these actors. And he's the mastermind. He's yeah. the genius. He's the GOAT. It's kind of crazy, though, to see who Tarantino gets in these movies yeah. and to think of who is this guy going to get in his final movie. Right. He's probably going to get every major star he could possibly think of. Mm. Right? Like, Dwayne Johnson's going to be sweeping something in the back. All right. right? Like, we yeah. don't even... Yeah, no. yeah. But listen, even if it's a, a small role, a cameo, uh, I hope it happens. I really do hope it happens because I just would love to see what Tarantino could do with, even if it's five minutes of screen time with Tom Cruise. Yeah. What, who is the character? What happens under Tarantino's direction? I completely actually agree, if I'm being <laughs> honest. Did you know there was a David Fincher Squid Game remake that was happening? What? I, how do we not know about this? I didn't know about this. Did you hear about this? Well, as a movie or a TV show? Uh, apparently it's a movie. I mean, sorry. Uh, apparently it just says remake still in development. So I imagine it's a series. I had no idea if I'm being honest. Right? Like that, I, that slipped on the radar for me. I feel like that's a really interesting situation. David yeah. Fincher right. writing an American version of Squid Game. Like the yeah. concept of Squid Game is so much fun. Yeah, yeah. And to see what he would be able to do with mm. the dialogue and everything in that form, I think that'd be really fun. And to be fair, he has done a lot of scripted series for Netflix. Yeah. So this is all within the Netflix family. So that actually makes a lot of sense. And it feels like it would be a big W. Mm. Right? Um, we're getting the next season of Squid Game, I think sometime this year. Yes. So that's another thing that's going to be massive this year. I mean, I imagine. Yeah. And do they, you know, the, the big question is, is can they almost uh, recap the people's imagination or was it a one-trick pony yeah i mean like at the end of the day it was such a like it was like a massive pop culture moment was it during covid am i i think we're just coming out of covid okay because i remember it being a situation where everybody watched that at home yeah and it was just completely took over everything i think it was kind of just then that weird gray area spot where we were kind of like one foot in one foot out yeah but regardless yeah. it's such it took over so much of pop culture it's going to be interesting i can't imagine they're gonna be able to do that again right but how much of that can carry on yeah, you know yeah. What i mean like yeah. how, I, I imagine it's still going to be a pretty massive show especially first week yeah it broke crazy records anyway yeah. and like you said it's a pop culture moment and uh, people are dressing up as characters for halloween and it's gonna people are probably re-watching it in anticipation of season two and think about what we were talking about at that time, when we were talking about Squid Games back in the day, yeah. it was, well, if they created this incredibly successful series for Korea, yeah. why can't they do it in different parts of the world? Mm. Hearing Darren Aronofsky as part of that conversation, yep. who's to say this isn't some wildly, you know, elaborate Squid Game multiverse or like Squid Game universe that it just brings all these worlds together yeah. at some point. I mean, obviously this is scripted drama, but like they do it all the time with reality TV shows. Yeah. I just finished watching uh, The Traitors that aired in the UK. I think there's like, they're two seasons in in the UK, but there's an American version, there's a Canadian version. There's already, you know, other markets and other countries mm-hmm. doing their own kind of version of it. Yeah. Why not do it with something like Squid Game? Absolutely. It makes all the sense in the world, if yeah. I'm being completely honest. Last story I got, Donald Glover, he says that he's making the Lando movie. And I think it's interesting to hear his reasoning mm. because he likes the character. His kids love Star Wars and he gets creative control. I think that's the most important one. The full quote was, I just know when something's going to be good and maybe you get painted as a control freak, but control allows for the vision to be singular. The less it's singular, the less people want it because they feel like they could have made it. Is that mm. like really interesting? The way he approaches that is yeah. very interesting to me. Doesn't it make your perception of Lando different too? Absolutely does. I think the biggest takeaway is what you just mentioned there is the creative control. And I think 
has any other filmmaker been given that license before in the world of Star Wars? Probably not. They've, it's probably been under the guidance of a George Lucas, a Kathleen Kennedy, and you know you got to get sign off on this and sign off on that, and we're checking in into production. And now it's like, I'm sorry. I'll deliver the movie when I deliver the movie. I'm going to go do my own thing. That really gets me excited. Yeah, I think that's like a really... Like, if I needed to hear anything to get me excited about these Star Wars properties, it was that. And maybe that's how other filmmakers should approach these opportunities. If you're getting approached to make a Star Wars movie or to make, I don't know, an MCU movie or whatever, like, having full license and creative control should be at the top of your list if you... Because then at least that way, you won't have any qualms after the fact. You can be like, you know what? That's exactly my vision. That's exactly the movie I wanted to put out there. No one, you know, interfered or stopped me from doing what I wanted to do. That's a great point to lead off if we were talking about Madam Web. And I'm excited to talk about that next week because I think that's a big part of the conversation. Okay. Right? Let's put a pin in that for now. Yeah. Why don't we talk about the movie we are setting up for this week? We didn't want to do something as a theatrical release this week. We wanted to get into a throwback and we thought, what better than Scarface? Yeah, one of the biggest pop cultural movies of all time. Yeah. All right, let's get into the movie for this week. We're talking Scarface. Let's get this straight now. I never f***ed anybody over in my life. Didn't have a coat. You got that? All I have in this world is my balls and my word. And I don't break them for no one. Do you understand? The reason we're, we decided to do this movie is, number one, obviously 40-year anniversary, big milestone for the movie, but really one of the most iconic movies in film ever. Yeah, I think what we're going to hear a lot of is the word iconic. Yeah, I agree. And when I think about Scarface, you know, it's a sequel and there's been lots of versions of Scarface made over the years going all the way back to the 30s. I can't think of from the top of my head a single movie that's not part of a franchise or anything, right? That has had a bigger cultural impact yeah. decades later in so many different industries through so many different generations like Scarface. Like, I, I, I don't know if this is um, something that you experienced, but I remember back in 1999 when The Matrix came out. Mm-hmm. For a period there, people were quoting the movie, you know, who's the one. There was the the Matrix banana flip phone. Everybody was rocking, like, a lot of, like, black leather and, and like, you know, those Neo shades. Yeah. But that had a moment. Yes. There was, it was, that was happening for a couple of years. But we, and I'm sure we'll get into a conversation about this, Scarface has had so many reverberations, decade upon decade upon decade. And like you mentioned, it's been 40 years yeah. and we are still feeling the impact of that movie to this day. It's true. It's 100% true. The one word that I feel like sums up Scarface as it has an impact on the film industry is fundamental, right? It's so severely fundamental in how films kind of impact pop culture and then go on to impact society right and talking about like scarface i kind of want to go back to what you mentioned before first thing is like yes it is a remake of the original one from 1930 whatever Uh, have you ever seen that movie i remember seeing it when i was at film school yeah and i only saw it the one time and it was very much a typical 30s black and white Mm -hmm. film noir gangster movie but it's just nothing hasn't lasted like Brian De Palma's version of had, course, you know? Of course, yeah. I, I actually have never seen it, to be honest. Like, and I'm, I'm curious, like, the, uh, now I kind of want to go back and watch it, like, almost as a companion piece to all of this kind of right, stuff. Right, right. But, like, when we talk about Scarface, it's so interesting because it is really one of the most nuanced discussions you could possibly have about mm-hmm. any movie, right? It, it, he's, Tony Montana, 
as a character is like the poster boy for like on one side the spirit of the immigrant experience right going from nothing becoming something having like a ruthless work ethic and getting out of your circumstances but it's also on the other side of this movie that glamorizes that by that same token the idea of like by any means necessary and again taking that spirit of going from something or nothing to something but then at the same time it kind of reinforces this idea of immigrants being criminals as mm. well yeah. you know what i mean like it's such a it's so polarizing yeah there's, there's a lot of themes going on in this movie you mentioned some of them already but that is communism capitalism uh, the american dream uh, the immigrant mentality and although brian de palma is the guy that made the movie you know he's the director gotta give big props and big kudos to Oliver Stone, who wrote the movie, passed on directing it yeah. because I can't think of anyone that could have written a script better than Oliver Stone. Like, yeah. this is right up his alley, yeah. you know? And we can later on perhaps go into the million quotes in this movie that are written by Stone and then obviously delivered for the most part, by Pacino as Tony Montana. But my God, what a strong script. Yes, absolutely. Okay, can I, can I rip the band-aid off now? Mm-hmm. And now we can actually get right into it because really my thoughts about this movie are so completely skewed by my experience of how people have like taken in this movie. Right. Because the one thing that's weird about Scarface is it's not just like, all right, cool. As I watch this movie, I like this movie. Right. It's not that. Scarface is like this thing that exists in pop culture, which we talked about as far as being iconic on one side, but it also is like this really annoying thing. So there's a poster boy for the spirit of the immigrant experience. On the other side, it's the poster boy movie for insecure men. You know what? That's a great point that you just raised there. (laughs) (laughs) But what I want to like say about Scarface is, look, it's not making my top 10, top 20 greatest movies of all time, anything like that. Right. And it didn't even impact me like it impacted a lot of the people I grew up with. And I know exactly what you're referring to and talking about here. It's so crazy though, because you had that experience too. I'm sure there's not anybody who's listening to this podcast right now who didn't have that experience. Yeah. There were guys in their high school who had Tony Montana on their wall. Right. And they made it that this is my personality now. Yes. And that's the big difference. We're watching this movie and we're talking about it from the from the lens of a cinephile. We appreciate movies. We appreciate we're film buffs. Yeah. And we appreciate the impact movies can have and we dissect it and talk about it, talk about the themes and what it means, all that kind of stuff. But it's a very different experience when it becomes your complete identity. It does and that's what this movie is. Right. Right. Real quick, do you think a part of that yeah. is the fact that we're like kind of children of immigrants. You know what I mean? Like, is that part of it? Because a lot of people that we knew growing up, like you come from an area that was predominantly immigrant based. Sure. And same thing with me. So yeah. a lot of these guys like see this kind of stuff and they think I'm doing that too. I think there's definitely an element of that. I think there's also an element of how, you know, quote unquote, cool the Tony Montana character is portrayed by Al Pacino. But I think the biggest part of this, and this kind of leans into what I was kind of referring to earlier on, the the generational impact is because we keep seeing the movie and Tony Montana just in our faces, whether it's through music. I made a quick little list, and this is even a full list, right? But like how many rap albums and and songs and artists have been inspired by or have referenced Scarface? Grand Theft Auto, Vice City, it's basically Scarface, the video game. Literally. The the poster that is so iconic that you, you know, mentioned how it was on so many like you know young men's bedroom walls. I remember seeing it on like smartphone wallpapers, the the smartphone cover. Jorge Masvidal, who I'm very familiar with, you know, has really brought the Scarface element into his his octagon walk, and yeah. even going into the pro wrestling world. Why did 
Razor Ramon do the Razor Ramon thing, he was inspired by Scarface, yes. the movie. Big so time. we have seen it in so many different forms of industry and entertainment through many different generations. And that's why it's probably impacted the next generation of men coming up, whether it's from an immigrant mentality or from an immigrant background, different parts of the world. It still to this day is latching itself to how people think they should act or should behave and how, and especially when they kind of go through puberty and adolescence, they feel like this is the embodiment of what a man, quote unquote, is supposed to be. On one side, you can be like, you know what? This is a really great movie. Yeah. Right. At the end of the day, that's really what it is. It's a fantastic movie with amazing performances all around. But credit where credit due, Al Pacino, obviously, this is like one of the most iconic performances of his career. But it's also like one of the best performances of his career. I would go as even further to say, I think this is the most iconic performance. And I think this goes beyond his role in Godfather. I yeah. think this goes beyond his role in Scent of Woman and countless other movies. I agree. In terms of just like, not I'm talking best in terms of Oscar Academy Award. I'm talking iconic, yeah. which is a word that we said that we were going to bring up a lot. Yeah. Most iconic, 100%. I can't ever picture or imagine this being remade and somebody else portraying Tony Montana it just really leans into him being at the peak of his powers. Yeah. The 70s, 80s, and 90s, it's Al Pacino's time. Yeah. It really is. Like, there was pretty much not much he could do wrong during that run. Yeah. And this is right smack dab in the middle of it. Would you say the same thing about Brian De Palma? No. I feel like with Brian De Palma, he has his moments in, in his filmography where, like, Carlito's Way is a fantastic movie. Yeah. Right? And I feel like the 80s leaning into, say, the mid-90s, I, I would say his run, for me, probably ended with Mission Impossible. Mm. After that, he had Snake Eyes with Nicolas Cage, which wasn't a really, really a big fan of that movie. It's crazy, though. He did Carrie. Like, yeah. I talk about, like, iconic movies, like Mission Impossible, Carrie, like, Scarface. Like, these are some of the most iconic movies ever. Yeah. And for so many different reasons. And he's an, a genuine auteur. Like, you can tell the fingerprints on a Brian De Palma movie. Yeah. Like, you can literally not know that this is made by Brian De Palma. But if you know his his like, kind of, like, go-to style. signature style, you oh, that's Brian De Palma right there. Absolutely, man. And it's crazy to see how much of an impact this had on his career, on, again, we said pop culture and all that kind of stuff. But when you look at, like, early careers... You look at like a Michelle Pfeiffer as Elvira and it's mm -hmm. like she's one of the most iconic women in film. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Purely because of this portrayal. Uh, when you think of performances, again, I want to bring up Stephen Bauer as Manny only because you mentioned the idea of how much of an impact this had in, in our lens of like pro wrestling fans. Right. And when when people think about like the idea of all right, Razor Ramon is basically a Tony Montana ripoff. Yeah. For me, it's almost more of like a Manny ripoff. Because right. when you look at like the mannerisms and the way he carries his physicality and all that kind of stuff, yeah. I see Razor Ramon there. Yeah, I see yeah. less of, like, I get like the words mm -hmm. are often what Tony Montana said. Yeah, yeah. But the way he carries himself is purely that machismo that like this dude had. I feel that. And you're pretty much bang on the money there. The other thing I want to speak about in terms of Manny is... Stephen Bauer, who has had a career, don't get me wrong, he's had a legitimate acting career. He's popped up in a bunch of different things over the years. But when you're talking about iconic performances and iconic movies, this is it. But it didn't lead to a leading man film career or anything like that. It wasn't like, oh, we've now just discovered you in this movie Scarface where you've done this incredible job acting opposite you know, Al Pacino. What's next? 
nothing big. Yeah. Nothing really, really big happened to him after that. Yeah. And he, he, and I've seen him in plenty of like, you know, documentaries and interviews celebrating the 20th anniversary, the 25th anniversary, the 30th anniversary. And he's even, you know, almost reprised a version of Manny in music videos and, and other, other bits and pieces. Yeah. But, it's like he didn't have this incredible career. This wasn't a launching pad for him to have this like really illustrious high level acting career. He had a career, don't get me wrong. But when you think about iconic, you know, performances and roles, like when you think about the actor, what do you think about? You think about his role as Manny in Scarface. What else do you think about? Yeah, exactly. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. He is one of those like those guys. Yeah. Um, let's get into some of our categories. One question I got, that's the easiest question maybe of all time is who's the best character okay this is the easiest one yeah which is al pacino's tony montana yeah. um, like i said i feel like it's his most iconic performance of his entire career i feel like it, this role in this movie has probably impacted more people for better or worse than any other movie he's ever been a part of and that like i said like i said before that includes the godfather yeah um the more interesting thing i thought was like maybe the best character is like such a a write-off mm. right it's so obvious that it's tony montana this is his movie yeah right this is like as much as any movie is carried by one character that is what this movie is right but more than that i'm so curious to see as far as best scene goes that's one question but also what are the best quotes the the lines bangers that like kind of come out of this movie because there are like really amazing ones yo i'm so glad that you teed up this segment like this because i don't even feel like Maybe we can, maybe we can't. We, I don't know if it's possible to be like, that's my best, that's my favorite scene yeah. or that's my best scene because this movie is actually all about individual scenes. Yes. There's a million of them and there are so many quotes. I've written a bunch here, like um, every dog has his day. This is when Tony confronts Frank after he double crosses and kills him. Don't get high in your own supply, like you mentioned earlier on. You need people like me so you can point fingers and say, that's the bad guy. All I have in this world is my balls and my word, and I don't break them for nobody. And here's my little uh, take. I bury those cockroaches, <laughs> right? You get the money, then you get the power, then you get the woman. And then the final one, which is probably the most iconic. I don't know. We can debate this all day long, but say hello to my little friend. Yeah. yeah. Like, come on. You probably got 10 of, of other ones that you've written down. Honestly, like the biggest thing for me is like when you look at this movie, like most of them like you named are like the most iconic quotes in this movie, but also some of the most iconic quotes in movies, period. period. Right. Like yeah. ever. Yeah. It's really interesting. I did actually land on a best scene. Yeah. But only because I think it's like a perfect encapsulation for the movie entirely. And sure. that is the scene that's say hello to the bad guy when he's sitting with Elvira and they're having that conversation where she's leaving him. Yeah. And he just kind of realizes like, you know what? And I think this is kind of realization that I kind of came to is that, you know, this is a bad person, but really we love criminals, right? It, it's a weird thing. But we do. We love the idea of going from nothing to something, but we don't want to credit the people who have gone about it the wrong way. Yeah, in many ways, this movie actually glamorizes and, and celebrates the celebrity of criminals. Yeah, and, and it, it's like that duality of this movie, like almost being like inspirational, but not aspirational, right? right? Because we want what Tony wants. We all do. Like we talk about like the idea of money, power, respect, like everybody wants that. But we don't want to do what he has to do to get there. Right. That's kind of the weird thing, because if you are somebody who like subscribes to this as like a personality trait or whatever. Yeah. That's like the the thing that you can say is like a retort to all everything we've said this whole time. Like, yeah. you know what? Sometimes you got to get dirty. Sometimes you got to do. But I, I get like, 
a lot of that is going to be how people kind of base this as their personality because they feel like they have to do these wrong things to actually do it because in real life you do get rewarded sometimes for doing the wrong thing and also in film it kind of shows that mm. as like a like a lesson like reward sometimes comes from doing the wrong thing he even has a quote in the movie that literally says this country was built on laundered money and that's mm. like an an incredible thing because it's actually factual yeah i, I don't know if i could land uh, on one particular scene but if i you know head to my gun if i had to it, it you know it's probably not the most iconic scene head to of the my movie. gun <laughs> what did i say gun to my head you said head to my gun <laughs> head to my gun gun to my head um it probably is the scene where tony ends up killing manny because yeah. i feel like Great and again it, 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 there's no like great one-liner in the movie or any, anything like that you know um in that particular scene but it is the most pivotal scene because for me it's the end of a relationship you feel bad for Manny, you feel bad for Gina, you feel bad for that whole family dynamic, but it's after that moment, there's no looking back. You know what's like, interesting about that scene too? Yeah. Is it almost is like that part in the movie, because uh, I think a lot of people, they're on the ride with Tony. Yeah. On the come up, come up, come up, come up, come up. And you're enjoying that so much, so much of the criminality and the success and all that kind of stuff is so, like you, like, like we said, glamorized all the way up there. And then once you get to that point, that's consequence. Yeah. Once it gets to he loses Manny, then you're like, oh, that's where everything kind of falls apart from yeah. then on. And yeah. it's it's uh, like drastically. Right. Yeah. And I think that's really where they try to like they try to like actually show you in the movie. Like, listen, we do bad stuff, but like bad stuff's going to happen to you if you keep continuing in that way. Mm-hmm. Right. And then that's where like you can kind of go and be like. There are like positive lessons from the movie and you could take away a lot of good stuff from it. But at the same time, I think that's also the point in the movie with that third act is where I think I kind of lose interest almost as a viewer as well. You took the words out of my mouth, to be honest with you. And and I think it's very symptomatic of most gangster movies where you're there for the rise. Yes. And then the end where the consequences come into play it's it's hard to like keep you on that high ride, you know. It's the same thing with like Wolf of Wall Street. When you're watching yeah. Wolf, like you're loving that, and then once you get to the point where you're like, oh, I'm sober, I hate it. Yeah, like that's where you're like, okay, cool, cool. And maybe it's not the most interesting part of the movie after that. Yeah, but it's almost like the most necessary part of the movie after that because we need to see consequence. Of course, and unfortunately, it is the most stereotypical beat of the movie, which most gangster movies end up kind of portraying is that final 20 minutes, 30 minutes, the final third act. And it's like, oh, this is a bit of a bummer because you're already so like invested in the celebrity, like I mentioned, of the character going on this incredible journey. And then it's time to wake up and then you kind of like, oh, this is actually not good. There's consequences and it's going to have a bad ending. Absolutely. It's, um, I'm the most curious now, as far as star ratings go, where do you end up? Zero being the worst, five being the best. Sure. So I gave it a, a 4.25 and a lot of it has to do with what you just mentioned. The first two acts are incredible. The final act isn't as strong for me as a just as a viewer. Overall, I feel like the movie is a little too long. Mm-hmm. I feel like it could have been like 20 minutes shorter or something just for just from a pacing standpoint. Yeah. But um, and like I said earlier on, this isn't my all time greatest movie of all time. It's not my top 20, not, not my top 30, but it is a movie that has been become more rewatchable as the years have gone on. Yes. But it's more rewatchable for the first two acts. Yeah. And then after that, it's like, I'm, I could easily switch the channel. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I don't, I don't really want to stick around for the final act. But like I said, very iconic, very quotable. I've seen it integrate so many of the things that I'm a fan of, whether it's music or pro wrestling or other movies or other TV shows or fashion, whatever the case you may be. But um, yeah, 
4.25 is where I landed. Man. Yeah, for me, I went with four stars. Um, I will say this, okay? So I, I remember being like the first time I watched the movie and I it took me a couple of times to actually get through it because I thought that, like you said, the pacing was just very slow, especially being so much younger, watching a movie from like the 80s. Yeah. It's just a lot that kind of goes into it. Mm-hmm. But I think the most important thing is that over time, when you shed away the kind of douchey aesthetic of it all, and you, when you, you shed away, like, everybody that kind of likes it and makes it kind of like a weird movie, it is a great movie. Mm-hmm. It's a very well-written movie. It's well shot, well acted. Like, there's not really a lot that you could kind of detract from it, a lot besides, like, pacing in a less than stellar third act, even mm-hmm. though it's not a bad third act. It still yep. has, again, iconic moments, like you mentioned, but... It's just not as strong as that first little bit. Yeah, but yeah, I think I think four stars is like a fair rating. I'm glad we're, we're in the in same, same ballpark. Yeah, I feel like yeah. Uh, any last thoughts about Scarface before we head on? Um, no, I, I just feel like it's always a fun conversation, yeah. and I feel like you know we're celebrating 40, uh, 40 years of Scarface. We'll probably be celebrating fifty years, sixty years, and it'll still figure out a way to keep penetrating pop culture in many different ways down the road. But let's get into the last segment of the show. Let's get wrecked, gentlemen. Hit me with Sandu's pick this week. Uh, this may be the easiest recommendation. This is leaning right into your book of connective tissue. This week, I am recommending Francis Ford Coppola's The Godfather from 1972. It really is the movie that made Francis Ford Coppola. It introduced Al Pacino to the world and also, in my opinion, gave Marlon Brando one of the most iconic roles and, and a character to really chew on of all time. Um, so yeah, simply put, it is one of the greatest movies of all time. I have enjoyed rewatching it. Um, overall, the the overall trilogy is actually fantastic, the Godfather trilogy. But I always go back to the first one. And another big debate where Godfather Two is you know sometimes debated as being a better movie and a better sequel and maybe one of the greatest sequels of all time. But for me, it really is the original, yeah. and uh, it's something that I can watch again and again and again. So yeah, this week I am recommending The Godfather. And if you don't know now, you know. Check it out. Nice. Uh, for me, I wanted to go with again connective tissue, thinking gangster movie, all that kind of stuff. I'm going with Reservoir Dogs. Easy to say, Tarantino just came onto the scene like a hurricane, right? He takes on the gangster genre and just flips it on its head with nuance and such different dialogue that literally changed how people talk in movies, mm. like completely. Like the idea of Tarantino dialogue just like everybody tried to replicate that for years and years to come. It set the tone for one of the greatest filmographies ever for Tarantino and is one of the most like exciting movies ever, especially for a movie that almost entirely takes place in a warehouse. It, it's just incredible. And we have actually gone out of our way and reviewed that movie. So go out of your way, go back in the SOS catalog, check out Reservoir Dogs, because again, another movie I just absolutely love. But yeah, Reservoir Dogs, that's my recommendation. But gentlemen, that's everything for this week. Where can anybody find us? We are at Screen Off Script on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube Shorts. We're available to listen to on Apple and Spotify. And listen, do us a favor. If you enjoyed today's review of Scarface, give us a rating, give us a review. It really helps us out and it helps our show get found by new audiences. Awesome. Thank you for checking us out this week, guys. Take care.